This is the Meet Me at the Spot podcast, where we meet at the intersections of sexual health and the world around us. Each week, we will discuss sexual health current events, politics, social justice issues, and more. Get excited because it is time to start the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Meet Me at the Spot. I'm Holly, and let me just start off by saying it feels so good to be back this week. It really was hard for me to take a week off last week, but there was just way too much going on, and I didn't feel good about putting together something kind of half-assed just for the sake of releasing an episode for the podcast. I appreciate all the love and support I received last week. It was very overwhelming. I appreciate you all. I'm hoping you are all feeling rested and have done at least one thing this week so far to make you smile or laugh or just bring joy to your life. Time for some current events, and this week is another extension of the shit show that is our country right now. So let's just fucking get into it, honestly. I'm going to just highlight a bunch of stuff. Check out my Instagram. I'm going to be reposting from so.informed about a lot of things that are going on in our country right now. Mississippi and Tennessee have banned gender-affirming care for trans minors. Tennessee uh, has also banned drag in public places. Oklahoma House passed a bill that would ban gender-affirming care for trans youth and adults. Arkansas lawmakers advanced a bill to make it illegal for a trans person to use a public restroom at the same time as a minor, and Florida lawmakers are wanting to have the ability to remove minors from their home who have received or at risk of receiving gender-affirming care. Like, what the actual fuck is happening? And it's March, the beginning of March, right? So on top of that, just in this year alone, 35 bills banning all or most abortions have been introduced in 20 states, with legislation in five states criminalizing abortion for patients. And we are still watching Texas for bans on abortion medication and the ability to access abortion information online. All of this is really wild and feels dystopian, and it all is an assault on voting rights. And you may be trying to find the connections here, but just just stick with me, okay? If elected officials criminalize being trans or performing drag or getting an abortion or being LGBTQ+, then you can get arrested. And in some states, they're going to make these crimes a felony. Felonies in most states takes away your right to vote. And the laws are written in such a vague way on purpose. So we have to then ask ourselves, who decides who is breaking the law? Is it the patient and the doctor that are breaking the law? Like in the case of gender affirming care or for an abortion? Is it the person who drove the patient to the appointment? Is it the person who contributed financially? Like Where are the lines? They're so vague 
that police and lawmakers and the legal system then have so much oversight and overreach and can make decisions kind of all willy-nilly however they want to. And think about how much of a coward you have to be to know you can't get enough votes unless you take away the right for people to vote. So many activists have been telling folks that overturning Roe was just the floor. We've been saying that since the beginning. This has always been the plan to start with overturning Roe because abortion is very controversial and it's an easy target to get people all fired up. The thing that most people don't understand is that Roe v. Wade wasn't just about getting an abortion. Roe was about privacy in medical settings and made it so that a person deciding to get an abortion was between that person and their doctor. Now that Roe has been overturned, it opened the fucking floodgates, y'all, for uh, lack of in privacy of trans people, LGBTQ plus people, and more. And the question stands, what's next? If you're listening to this and think, well, I don't need to really worry about any of this because I'm never going to get an abortion, or I'm not trans, or I'm not LGBTQ plus, I need you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. This is only the beginning for these elected officials. If you live in a very blue state, you are not automatically immune from this happening in your state. All it takes is one of those states to elect an extreme elected official to make some very different decisions. I just want to point out That if you can only care about issues that impact you, I don't know what to say at this point that will make you care about other people. We have a responsibility to stand up against this level of government overreach. I want to focus on some good news. So we are not all doom and gloom and just pissed off all the time today. Michigan Senate voted to protect LGBTQ plus rights with inclusion in civil rights law. New York City Council introduced legislation to make early child care free for all New Yorkers. And as a mom who lives in New York, I would love to see this happen. Reproductive rights activists in Ohio are working to get a ballot initiative on abortion. The baby bond bill has been reintroduced in Congress which would give every child $1,000 at birth. Utah lawmakers have joined together to pass a ban on conversion therapy. And lastly, in the good news, 20 governors are forming a new coalition to support abortion rights. So it's good to feel anger and it's good to fight when the things are hard. And it's also good to celebrate when things are good.
let's jump into this week's episode, which is all about rubbers, love gloves, raincoats. Of course, I am talking about condoms. We are going to look at the history of condoms, various types of condoms, and the importance of lube, and tie all of this into our last episode and talk about condom availability in schools. Let's start off by recognizing that condoms are not new. They're not anything new at all. Condoms in various forms have been around since medieval times and most likely even earlier than that. It wasn't until the 16th century that condoms were recommended as prevention for infections. Condoms were originally made from animal intestines that were held in place by tying a string around the base of the penis to keep it on. Condoms were stigmatized because they were associated with prostitution in those days. In the mid-1800s, condoms got a major upgrade to rubber. At first, they just covered the head of the penis, and then in the late 1800s, they were made longer, but they were really uncomfortable and pretty expensive. Although the high price was offset by the fact that these condoms were reusable. You heard me right, reusable. Condoms then became thinner over time and therefore more affordable. And just when condom innovations were on the rise, the fucking Comstock law is put into place, which made sending condoms and contraceptives and information about sex and sex toys through the mail illegal. Some states enacted even stricter laws in regards to this. Condom distribution was forced to go underground and cause condom companies to use slang terms for condoms. In the 1930s, condoms started making a comeback. And thank goodness, because it was around this time, latex rubber was invented. This led to more comfortable and affordable condom material options. Condom popularity went down in the 60s and 70s as more effective contraceptive options like the pill and IUDs became more popular and legal to obtain. Condoms made another comeback in the 80s with the HIV AIDS epidemic. The 90s and early 2000s is when we saw commercials for condoms on TV for the first time, which is so wild to me. Condoms still face a ton of stigma today in the United States, but are the only option that work for pregnancy prevention and prevention against sexually transmitted infections. Most people are probably familiar with the external condom or what has been long referred to as a male condom. In the spirit of inclusive language, it is important to use language of external condom. There is also the internal condom or what has often been called the female condom. Again, we're going to be using inclusive language because it is important and it matters. Because this is a podcast, I am going to talk about various types of condoms, and I want y'all to check out my Instagram and Twitter for information on how to use condoms effectively. When we talk about external condoms, 
There are latex, polyurethane, and lambskin. I find it very important to note that lambskin does not protect against STIs and HIV, and this is stated right on the packaging. Internal condoms are made of nitrile and come pre-lubricated. External condoms do not always uh, come pre-lubricated. And we'll talk more on lube in just a minute. There are many brands and varieties of external condoms. So it's really great to try different ones to see what works best and what fits. Fit is key. A condom that is too tight can break during sex. One that is too large can slide off. Both of those, not good. Most penises can fit regular size condoms. Oftentimes, people who talk about condoms not fitting are usually referring to the base of the condom being too tight. And these folks should try condoms with wider bases. There is never an excuse for not wearing condoms that is related to size. There is no penis that is way too big for condoms. That's a lame, lame excuse. Now, when we talk about internal condoms, there's only one brand available. Condoms are most effective when used correctly and consistently. Many of you have probably heard that condoms are like 98, 99% effective, and often that's referring to perfect use. When we talk about typical use, external condoms are about 82% effective, and internal condoms are about 79% effective. Why do I focus more on typical use and not perfect use? Because life happens, things happen. Humans are not perfect. And sometimes we put our condom on wrong, or the condom breaks, or we use an expired condom. Shit happens, and we give ourselves a false sense of security if we think condoms are going to be used perfectly every single time. Some fast tips to cover, pun totally intended there. Condoms do expire, so make sure you check that, especially if you keep some in a bedside table drawer. Don't keep condoms in your wallet as the friction and heat can cause them to break. Never use your teeth to open condom wrappers. You are not in some cheesy porno. Teeth can tear and break the condoms. Condoms are one and done, so do not reuse them and use a new condom with every opening that you are going to explore. Don't use two external condoms at the same time or an external and internal condom at the same time as the friction could cause them to break. And lastly, always throw condoms in the trash and never, ever, 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 ever flush them down the toilet. Just trust me on this one. When it comes to condoms, lube is extremely important. Lube with sex in general is very important. Lube can help condoms to not break from the friction of sex, but the type of lube you use is key. Water-based or silicone-based lubes are the best, especially when we talk about using with condoms. Oil-based lubricants can cause condoms to break, so you do not want to use oil-based if condoms are going to be in the mix. A lot of oil-based lubes are household items such as 
Vaseline, baby oil, lotion, et cetera, et cetera. I know things can heat up quickly and we get desperate in the moment and we don't have any lube, but do not use these items as lube, especially with condoms. There's no right or wrong way to use lube. Some people prefer to put some extra lube outside the condom once it's on the penis. Some folks like to put a couple drops inside the tip of the condom. Some people like to use directly on the vulva or the anus. All are good. Lube is vital for anal sex because the anus does not self-lubricate like the vagina. When there isn't enough lubrication, the friction during sex can cause irritation which can lead to micro tears. Besides sounding very painful, these micro tears offer an opening for bacteria and viruses to get into the body. The other caution I have with lube is around flavored lube or even flavored condoms that have sugars. Sugar's not really great for the vagina. There are some flavored condoms that do not contain sugars, and these are fine. Generally, flavored condoms are not designed to be used in the vagina or in the anus. They're generally used for oral sex, but some people go from one to the other really quickly, and so these are not really good to introduce into the vagina or to the anus. Lastly, about lube, spit is not lube. The amount of bacteria in human saliva is not healthy to introduce into the vagina or the anus. Plus, saliva dries up quickly, which, again, can lead to the irritation and micro tears that I just mentioned. As important as it is to keep condoms on hand, it's equally important to have some good lube on hand as well. The debate around condom availability in schools has been going on for decades. And condoms being available to students in the United States is not new. Research shows that these programs do not increase sexual activity among teens, and it actually increases condom use among teens who are sexually active. This is one of the biggest arguments I hear against having condoms available in schools. A lot of people are under this impression that if we make condoms available, all of these teens who were previously not interested in sex are all of a sudden going to be going at it like rabbits, right? And when you think about it, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. First of all, teens are having sex. A A lot of them actually are already having sex. With condoms being free and readily available, they're just having sex that reduces their chances of pregnancy and or STIs. Condom availability programs come with a lot of moving parts. There needs to be education given with distributing condoms about how they work and how to use them properly. There also needs to be highly trusted people to hand condoms out. This can get a little tricky. In my experience, most schools default to the school nurse which is not always the best option. I've met a lot of school nurses who are very on board with providing free condoms for students and very excited to hand them out and very on board with being a part of the process. 
And I've met some that have openly talked about how their religious beliefs make them hesitant and are even against condom availability because of that. And this could make a program ineffective. Several years ago, I was fortunate enough to be an advisor for a health club at a private school. One of their first goals was to get condoms available in their school. I was so lucky to oversee that project and work with the students to make that a reality. Thankfully, I had worked to build a strong relationship with staff and administration So it was easy to set up meetings to discuss the rationale behind this. And I worked with the students to help them create their case about why condoms should be available in their school. Administration was on board with very little convincing, actually. And because this was a private school, there was no school board that we had to deal with. The health club worked to get students really excited about it, and they even led presentations for students and staff on how to use condoms correctly. It was a very empowering movement to be a part of, and to this day, I am still so, so proud of those students for advocating for something so important. They're all very much grown adults now, but the work that they did was so incredible, and it was really great to be a part of that. And while there are a lot of moving parts for effective condom availability programs, it is very much worth it. Even if only a couple of kids get condoms, especially in the beginning, those couple of kids now have access to be able to make safer sex decisions. And that is something to be really proud of. The word of the week is inclusive. Inclusive in this sense refers to activities, curricula, language, and other practices in the educational environment that ensure every student's entitlement to, access to, and participation in learning is anticipated, acknowledged, and taken into account. This includes all students, regardless of race, ethnicity, ability, socioeconomic status, gender, gender identity, gender expression, sexual orientation, age, size, or religion. As we learn more about the identities of people and create spaces for people to express themselves authentically, we must remember that language should be inclusive and that language is always evolving. Inclusion is work and that scares people, especially people who have never really had to think about their learning environment being inclusive. Young people deserve to learn and grow in spaces that make them feel safe, period. And this definition is specific to young people and applies to adults alike. Our workspaces, the spaces where we play and live, 
should also be inclusive. As we wrap up, I want to thank you all so much for listening this week and for all of your amazing support. Don't forget to ask questions using the anonymous question box. And if you're interested in being a guest on this podcast, which I cannot wait for you to be a guest on the podcast, go fill out the podcast interest form and I will be reaching out to you. Links to all the resources for this episode are in the show notes and on my link tree as well. Make a lot of noise on social media and your social circles supporting our LGBTQ plus family and friends and those who perform in drag. These bans and attacks are harmful and dangerous and we must not be complacent. Until next week, bye! Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Make sure you're following me on Instagram, Meet Me at the Spot Podcast. Do you love the show and want to support the podcast? Well, check out the show notes for all the ways to support the work I do. All links related to today's episode can also be found in the show notes. Help others find this podcast by following me and leaving a review. And also spread the word on social media. See you next week when we meet at the spot.